0: Welcome back to the Hostile Environment Podcast, episode number 35. Yes, we've made it to 35. That sounds uh, pretty impressive. I'm not going to lie. I'm pretty happy with that. And if it seems like I'm a little bit more chipper and less hostile today, you would be correct in that assumption. Why are you in a good mood, Jay? Why, you ask? Why are you always Why are you not hostile today, Jay? Well, there's a great answer to that, ladies and gentlemen. Your boy, your party host, and the new Dr. Phil of the podcast world is now officially a paid entrepreneur! I have officially uh, been hired by a company to promote their product on my podcast starting this Thursday, coming up. And uh, I am in talks with other companies for some other possible business opportunities as well. So, uh... As the great Jim Ross from the WWE used to say, business just picked up. And speaking of Jim Ross, wow, what a a, a fucking seamless segue that was, right? Awesome. That's awesome. Anyways, 23 years ago today, June 28th, 1998, Mick Foley was tossed off of Hell in a Cell. The structure that was... uh, The pay-per-view took place in Pittsburgh... Um, it was, it was crazy. Uh, I remember personally, I was at a bar called Chick Chicks. Uh, they used to have, um, all the wrestlings and the UFCs and all the pay-per-views and all that shit. They used to have, they used to play it all there. They also had fantastic wings and they served alcohol to underage minors. So naturally, Derek and I were there fucking every Monday night watching Raw and at least uh, one Sunday a month for pay-per-views, and probably one Saturday for the UFCs as well. So, um, I, fuck, I don't even know if that place is still open. It's a Victoria Park in Danforth, so it, it was a fucking really good bar, but... Um, anyways, when I when I saw Mick Foley get thrown off the top of that cell, um, it, it had to be, I, I want to say 30 feet in the air, probably more, uh, and he fell onto a table and almost... Uh, slid under the the metal guardrail structure that they had to prevent the fans from getting in. He almost slid directly into the under that and in, into the audience. It was it was crazy. Uh, I, I truly a thousand percent thought I had just seen a man murdered on live television. I thought he was fucking dead. Um, but that you know, just when you think that it's over and it can't get any worse, the guy gets up and he goes back and he climbs up the cage again with one arm, because the other one, the shoulder was popped out, so he only had one real arm working, and he still climbed up to the top of this structure, and then he gets thrown through the top of the cage, onto the canvas of the ring, where on the way down, there was a steel chair that was up on the top of the cage with him and the Undertaker. When he went through, the chair followed him down, and hit him right in the mouth. Uh, It hit him so hard that it actually knocked out one of his teeth, and uh, the tooth somehow ended up in his nose. So there's lots of pictures online where you can just Google and say Mick Foley tooth. And you'll see him in the corner smiling with the tooth sticking out of his nose. It's it's pretty barbaric. But it was, it was crazy to see in person. Uh, it was definitely the most insane wrestling match I've ever seen. I want to say it's probably the most famous match of all time in the WWE or WWF, whatever you want to call it. Um, I actually was trying to rack my brain earlier today, and I was trying to think what other matches might even be comparable. And the only ones I can think of are when Hogan slammed Andre at WrestleMania 3, or maybe, and this isn't even in the same stratosphere, but uh, Hulk Hogan versus The Rock at WrestleMania in Toronto, which I was there for, and let me tell you, that was by far the loudest, most insane crowd I have ever been a part of. Uh, except for maybe, the only thing that's even close is, I went to the UFC in Montreal when GSP, Georges St-Pierre, won his belt back after getting knocked out by Matt Serra. Um, I, I, we went to that pay-per-view, a bunch of me and my friends, I think it was like eight guys, we all went, we flew to Montreal, had a great weekend, saw the pay-per-view. But when GSP walked out, the literally, literally the building was was moving, it was the Bell Centre, it was literally moving, and it was just, the, the the crowd was, like, savage, it was insane, it was it was really cool to be a part of, and uh, I think that was the first UFC ever in Canada, so I'm pretty sure I hold that belt, too, that I, I saw the first UFC ever in Canada, I don't know, I'm a bit of an idiot, too, so maybe not, um, anyway, speaking of Montreal, um, another, god damn another, another amazing, like, transition slash segue, Um, You know, like, how how do you do this so well? No wonder you're a paid podcaster, Jay. Uh, Anyways, um, speaking of Montreal, the Canadians are in the Stanley Cup versus the defending champion Tampa Bay Lightning. Game one is tonight, and I have to admit, I'm a little torn here, folks. I don't know what to do. Uh, I am a diehard Leafs fan. I do have the blue Maple Leaf tattooed on my right arm. Uh, We are forbidden from cheering for the Habs, it's kind of a rule, as soon as you become part of Leafs Nation, you cannot cheer for the Habs, but guys, I mean, you know, put all that shit aside, it's a Canadian team, and I mean, the Stanley Cup hasn't been won by a Canadian team since the last time the Montreal Canadiens won the Stanley Cup, and that was in 1993, so, I mean, you have to pick and choose your battles here, right, I mean, I don't want to cheer for the Habs. Um, absolutely not. I, I'm, I'm not a Hab guy. I hate the Habs. But Tampa Bay won it last year. And I am a true blood Canadian, thousand percent caker, you know, hot dogs and craft dinner and Molson Canadian. That's, you know, that's me. I don't drink Canadian. It tastes like piss. But um, unfortunately, I have to, I have to make this announcement to anyone who's listening. And I know, Dad, I know you're part of this. I know you're listening. Um, I'm officially switching my allegiances right now. To the Montreal Canadians. And yes, I will be watching game one tonight, and I will indeed be cheering for the hated habitants of Montreal. So I hope these guys bring Lord Stanley back to Canada for the first time in 28 fucking years. But as a typical Leafs fan, as soon as next season starts, I'll be right back on the Leaf Wagon saying this is our year, and then they'll let me down, and you know, you know how this fucking story plays out. So I am a diehard Leafs fan. I'm not jumping off Leafs Nation, even though I'm pretty disgusted with them. I'm only cheering for the Habs because I'm Canadian and we need that fucking Stanley Cup back in our home country. All right? All right, that's it. Um, I got to jump back to me actually um, getting hired for just a minute because, uh, in all seriousness, guys, um, this is a big deal for me. I'm not going to lie. I started this show, I knew nothing about how to get this off the ground. I literally went and I bought all the equipment before I even knew how to do it. I just went out, and I just bit the bullet, and I went out and got the equipment. I learned how to set it all up. I reached out to other podcasters. I went on YouTube to learn how to navigate the editing programs on how to edit your podcast. Um, I, I've learned how to download the files from the 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 one um, from the um, the audio station to the actual podcast distributor. Uh, I I personally. I uh, applied to Apple and Spotify and Google and Amazon to get my show on their platforms. Um, I've had business calls, I've had Zoom calls, I've had email conversations and threads that went on for over a week between me and, and a whole bunch of other clients or possible clients, which some most of them fell through. Um, you know, and, and I've made probably well over a hundred business pitches to companies and you know it, it seemed like i was just you know I was, I was running in circles at some point it just that's the way it started to feel and i know i'm only 34 episodes in i didn't expect to get uh, results immediately i just thought i would get better feedback better um, manners isn't the word i'm looking for but a lot of these people they really didn't have the respect to deal with me on a professional level when i was actually dealing with them on a professional level so uh that kind of that that kind of fucking it started to break me down a little bit mentally but you know what i kept i kept plugging away and sure enough i got my hit so i mean we're off to the races and hopefully this is a sign of things to come but i mean i gotta admit i mean when i woke up on um sunday morning before i had to get in the car and had to work uh, I, I opened up my emails and, uh, the first thing I saw was this company saying, yes, we're going to hire you, um, for their product or service. And, um, it's a feeling that I can't even describe. It really is. It's so validating to say the least. And I'm super proud of myself. And, um, that being said, I also have to say that I'm very grateful for all of you guys because without an audience, without the numbers that I have, To present to a company saying, you know, yes, I am new to the podcast game, and yes, I've only recorded 34 episodes, but I've already gotten over 2,500 downloads. Um, You know, it's very impressive, and it's because of you guys, and and I want to thank you for that. Now, that being said, as well, I am a man of my word, and I've said on more than one occasion that if I ever got hired and I started making money, that I'd take that money and I'd put it back into the show. And I'm, I'm a man of my word. So uh, I have officially post um, purchased the first Hostile Environment merchandise. I bought some stickers and I bought some bumper stickers with my logo on them. And I will try and figure out creative ways to get them out to you guys as prizes and as thank yous and you know stuff like that. So stay tuned. Um, I'm supposed to have my order delivered around July 7th. And trust me, I will be letting you know when I have those in my hand. I will even put them on social media when I get them. So, there is that. Okay, Uh, we are going to get some fan questions answered today. We are going to introduce a new segment into the show that I don't actually have a name for yet. But I'm going to post the proposed titles that I've been throwing around or that I've come up with. And I'm going to post them on social media for you guys to actually vote on them. So you guys will actually decide what this new segment is called. And um, I will post those probably on Thursday, before Thursday's show. uh, Depending on how everything works out. So that is coming as well. So stay tuned for that. Um, Oh, wait, Jay. You're so amazing. Where can we find you on social media to... To answer those questions. Oh, aren't you sweet? Well, you can find me on all major social media platforms. Just like you can find my podcast on all major podcast platforms. So, if you want to hear from me, if you want to find me, if you want to follow me, if you just want to be me. I understand. I get it. On Facebook, you can try and be me or find me or whatever the case is. I am I am Jay Cowell on Facebook. On Twitter, it's at podcast underscore hostile. On IG, it's host dot enviro dot pod. On TikTok, it is at the hostile environment pod. And on Patreon, buy me a coffee. Give me two bucks. Two bucks. That's all I'm going to say. Ask him, buy me a coffee just so I can say I've got my first Patreon subscriber. It's two bucks out of your life. Once you give me two bucks, who knows? Maybe someone will give me $50,000. let us go with that. How about that? Uh, anyways, when you get on Patreon... Uh, The link for my Patreon is on the link on all my social media platforms. When you click on that link, it brings you to Apple, Spotify. It also brings you to Patreon, or you can just go to Patreon yourself. Either way, search for The Hostile Environment Podcast. My logo will pop up, and they will take your kind donation of $2 to show support for the show. And of course, if you want to email me and send me your duck pics... Uh, it is j.hostile.environment at gmail.com. That is where I get my fan questions for the most part, and that is where I, uh, I interact with most of you guys um, on a more personal level. So there's that. Uh, all right, what we should do first is should we get to fan questions or should we do the new segment? Uh, let's go you know what let's go fan questions because I think they're a little more bit um, a little bit more in depth. So let's just go there. Uh, let's go with uh, the first question I have is where is it? Where is it? Oh Yes, the first question I've got is from Thea, who also asked for the advice. So hold on, Thea. Um, not a Doctor J is in the building, but hasn't sat down in his office just yet. So we'll get to that. Until then, Thea's questions is about corrections, as most of my questions as of late are, um, and she asks. You said in your end of Jay and Corrections episode that you only got personal protective equipment in 2016. What did you have before that, and how did you defend yourself? Um, And and before I answer that question, actually, uh, Toronto Jamal, who's actually a huge fan. Thank you, Jamal, for writing it again. We talk all the time. Um, Toronto Jamal actually wrote in also and asked... If we didn't have handcuffs prior to 2016, how did we restrain the inmates? Uh, So I'm going to answer both of those questions in one shot because they kind of tie into each other. Uh, So here we go. Um, Obviously, every jail is built differently. um, And because I've worked at so many different locations, um, it's kind of hard for me to describe in detail because i uh, i get all my buildings confused and da 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 so I'll, I'll break it down like this i worked at mimico i worked at the Don jail i worked at the toronto south detention center uh, i worked at the toronto east detention center uh, i've also done a few overtime shifts at maplehurst correctional facility and i've done one shift at oci which is in brampton or like uh, the edge of Brampton, no, it's Kipling, yeah, it's Kipling, I don't know, anyways, it's a horrible place, it's it's a place, it's full of pedophiles, and sex offenders, and guys who beat up their old ladies, and shit like that, uh, it's just a horrible place, I wanted nothing, I were, I'd worked there for eight hours, and I said I would never go back, because I did not want to hear these people talk about what they've done to children, uh, it, it, it really pushed me to the level of actually wanting to quit the job before I fucking destroyed one of these individuals, so I did one shift there. Uh, but the, the, the thing that I can say about the, the point I'm getting to is I can definitively say that, um, one thing about all of those buildings that doesn't change is, uh, that there's a blue emergency button that's placed roughly every hundred yards or so throughout every institution. So, I mean, it's very hard to not see one of these blue buttons on the walls in any institution that you work at, or you're lucky enough to be an inmate of, um, So this blue button is basically your lifeline as a correctional officer. Um, It's on the walls, in the stairwells. It's in the gymnasiums. Uh, If there is one, of course. I mean, there was a gymnasium at OCI. There's a gymnasium at the East Detention Center. They're not used anymore, but they're there. Actually, the OCI one might be used, but the East, the inmates, don't get to do the gym anymore because they don't have rec officers anymore. Anyways, that's near here or there. Um, They're in the, the blue buttons. They're also in the yard where the inmates go for fresh air and exercise, they're they're literally everywhere, anywhere where an officer could have to be. Um, It's, um, you know, basically, if a fight breaks out, or if you feel like you're in danger, or something's going to go down, uh, that's, you know, like, or if there's a suicide attempt, or if you see a weapon, or if there's a drug overdose, or, you know, any, any possible problem that requires backup and healthcare, or backup or healthcare, like, you know, like healthcare. Anyways, I'll get to that. Anyways, so if you need backup, if you need if you need assistance, and shit's gonna go bad or shit is going bad, you hit this button. And as soon as you hit that button, the signal goes to the control room of the institution, where there's somebody working there. And when they they see the blue button go off, they go over the loudspeaker of the entire institution, and it also goes over all the radios that you carry on your hips, in case you're you know outside the institution in the yard with the inmates, or you're on lunch break or whatever. Uh, and it's announced code blue and whatever area you're in. So we'll say we're on the 3B, land, uh, 3B area. It'll say code blue 3B, code blue 3B, code blue 3B. And they say it three times because you have to understand where the code is. You understand the code blue, you know shit's going down. But sometimes you have to, your your memory has to remind itself where you're actually going. So your initial, when you hear the word cold blue, your first instinct is to get the fuck up and just take off. But you need to know where you're going. So, um, and you know, when people are running up and down stairs and running through hallways and shit like that, the sound of the boots on the ground is very loud as well. So it can get muffled. So it's very important that the person making the announcement says it clear, concise, doesn't freak out while they're saying it. And it's very, you know, 3B is the important part there. So you already know it's code blue, but you need to know where you're going. So uh, that's that. Um, Anyways, when you hear that announcement, so like I said, if you hear code blue 3B, it is your obligation and your duty to drop whatever the fuck you're doing. If you're on break, it doesn't matter and you have to respond. So if you're working on a unit with a partner now, you guys have to choose between each other who actually goes to the code because you can't abandon your unit uh, for any reason because you know then, then there's nobody watching the inmates. So it's for the inmate safety. Usually when I was working, I would be the one to go. I would volunteer or I would just overrule the the junior staff. And I'd say, if a code goes, I'm going because I love that shit. That was my bag. That's why I signed up for the job. Um, if I was with a senior officer, sometimes I would work with a senior officer who was like that. So I couldn't go. So they would say, you know, if there's a code, I'm the one who's going or it'd be the other way around, they'd be like, if there's a code, you will be going because of such and such a reason, and there could be a thousand reasons why, but anyways, um, yeah, so if you're responding to a code blue, blue, the thing about a code blue is, it's always a crapshoot, it really is, um, you know, 95 times out of 100, it's just a regular fist fight between two guys, or maybe two on one, or, you know, maybe two on two, or whatever, that's usually the way it is. It's just, you know, we, we have to shut it down before it gets out of control. Um, you know, we go in and sometimes we have to physically break it up. Sometimes just your mere presence alone ends the, the squabble or whatever it is. But more times than not, you actually have to go and break the guys up because nobody wants to look like a pussy and stop swinging. So they want you to stop it for them. That way, you know, it doesn't look like they quit. You're actually ending it for them, right? So, um, yeah, there's that. And... Um, And then, you know, also, you you hear that code blue, you may think you're walking into that, but there's been, you know, times where I've walked in, and there have been massive brawls going on. We're talking, like, five on seven, or or sometimes it was, like, nine on five, or sometimes it's just, like, eight on eight. Like, I've seen some serious, serious shit go down. I've also responded to a guy hanging in segregation, to a guy who killed himself. Uh, You know, I I, I responded to a guy whose head was cracked open, and he was already dead, but... um, or sorry, he was dying and then he died on the floor. So you never really know what you're getting when you get to a code blue. So you have to get there no matter what. Even if you just think it's a fight between one or two guys, you you never know. So you have to go. Um, and there's also another thing, you know, you, when you have your handheld radio, you can actually call for a medical alert. You don't really call for code blues over the radio unless you can't get to a button. Um, so you usually call for a medical alert over your radio. And if you do that, it's still an emergency, but you don't need... Forty officers attending the scene and ready, getting ready to throw down. So that just goes over the loudspeaker over the radio and says like, "Medical alert three B." So that could be anything from like a seizure or an allergic reaction, or maybe a maybe a guy's vomiting or uncontrollable. What you know, if a guy's laying in his bed stiff as a board, that's obviously a cold blue because he's dead. So that is not a medical emergency that is a big big emergency so well medical emergency it's both it's it's everything but anyways you you understand um so um oh and the one you know if you're if you were ever unlucky enough to hear a code blue all staff that's the kicker that's the big one now you've got problems if you hear that you know shit's gone bad uh that's literally that literally means every single officer in the institution attends the area that was called over the loudspeaker so it means right fucking now get there uh, in 12 years i only heard that once it was at the Don jail and it was when we had a small riot going on that almost exploded into a powder keg and a full-scale riot with like possible hostages and all kinds of shit it was a, it was a shit ton of stuff going on there was Like a a massive amount of damage done to the institution. It was crazy. It was nuts. So that was the only time I actually heard cold blue all staff. Thankfully, that never happens. Usually, um, you know, I hear different things about what's going on nowadays and I hear they're actually becoming more and more of a thing. So kind of glad that I'm not involved in that anymore. Uh, As for the weapons, you asked, before 2016, when you responded to anything... The only real resource you had was the you know twelve dollar pair of leather gloves they actually provide you from the ministry. Uh, there was no pepper spray. There's no guns. There's there's no batons like the Green Mile or anything like that. I mean that was the old days. Not in, I don't even think we had that in Canada. That was the old days in the in America. So um, the only real power you have is strength in numbers because nine times out of ten the troublemakers or the fights or whatever can usually be de-escalated by you know 30 officers showing up with leather gloves ready to throw down and rock and roll but you know sometimes just showing up isn't enough and you've got to get physical and break shit up or or end a standoff or whatever the case is i mean i like i said I've, i've seen every possible scenario of responding to a code blue from a minor incident to you know like a oh, fuck, man, these guys are trying to take over the jail. <laughs> um, and like I said, to a guy hanging, and we tried to save his life and all that shit. But in all cases, before 2016, we had no weapons of any kind. Um, now, things we did have for our safety, we did have um, metal wands, like uh, metal detectors, but in like a wand form, so you hold it in your hand. And you know you could use that for when we're searching inmates for metal um, we could use that whenever we wanted. We had access to that as many times as we needed to do it. If you wanted to Wanda a guy fourteen times, you were in your rights to do that because it's your health and safety as well as the other inmate's health and safety. Um, we had our partners. That was a big thing. You had a good partner. You knew no matter what, you know, you, you were in for a good day because a good partner makes your twelve-hour shift fly right by. Um, and the, obviously, the other staff in the building is also a weapon, basically, because you know you're all for one, one for all, and that happy horse shit. And um, we also had to do like regular walkabouts of the unit where we were working, you know, or, you know, they were called security checks or whatever, but you would do your walk around to make sure that, you know, there was some guy, wasn't some guy like was fucking dummyed and upside down in the shower with his head cracked open or shit like that. So you had to do those once every 15, 20 minutes, uh, you know, and you don't do it on a certain time. So it's not like nine, nine, 15, nine, 30, you mix it up so that. People weren't the inmates weren't used to you... when you would get up to walk around... it was a surprise for them... so if shit was going down... you would watch them scatter... and you would know shit was going bad... so that was one of the weapons we had... but the most important thing you had... in a job like that... is just fucking straight up common sense... and with common sense... and being in that environment... you kind of had a... Um, like a, a heightened awareness... of what's going on around you at all times... I mean I, personally... like from my experiences... I can't even count the times when I just felt that something was going to pop off and I just knew I had to be on my game like right now, like something's going down. I got to be, I got to be fucking focused. And you know, if, if you were a good officer and you cared about your job and you were good at your job and the inmates respected you, which I know is kind of an oxymoron, but that actually is, that's kind of a thing. Um, then there were times when inmates would, would take me off to the side and say, Hey man, like, you know, this guy's about to catch a beating. So be ready, sir. Which meant like Okay, like, I can't stop this from happening, but what I can do is be right ready to hit that button and call for help to break it up fast. So, yes, this guy does catch a beating, but he doesn't get fucking killed. So, I know how it sounds, but it's kind of the environment that you're in. You can't stop a guy from getting dummied. It's just, they're going to do it today, they're going to do it tomorrow. You can say, oh, you you can't do that, that's against the rules. And, And they'd be like, yeah, 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 great, great. Either way, like, unless you get that guy out of the unit immediately, and usually to do that, you need a really good reason to move a guy. But if a guy, if an enemy comes up to you and says this guy's going to catch a beating, there's really not much you can do to stop it. All you can do is you know prevent the level of damage. So I can get into that. If you guys have more questions about that, absolutely write me in. I will talk to you about that. Um, so and, and oh, it's sorry. And uh, the last part of the question was from uh, thing, um, uh, Toronto Jamal, and he asked about the handcuffs. Uh, Before 2016, um, only captains carried handcuffs. Uh, So all captains are obligated to attend every situation, whether it was a a medical alert or it was a code blue, they have to show up. It's procedure. Um, Sometimes we'd be wrestling around with guys during an altercation, and the captain was much later than us getting there, and we didn't have handcuffs or any way to subdue them, so we just had to keep wrestling with them until they showed up. You know that. Unfortunately, that's what the way it was. It sucked, but you know it, it was what it was. So um, now, thing nowadays, you have your own cuff, so you don't have to worry about that. Oh, and another point I want to touch on too was uh, sometimes if uh, if you had a, a good relationship with an inmate and something was going to go bad, I would even have inmates come up to me and say, "Hey, man, um, you know, just to let you know, we were going to fucking pound this dude today, but because you're working, we didn't want to give you the paperwork. So when you leave, we're going to fucking dummy this kid." And, uh, you know, that was kind of like a thank you for being an all right guard or officer. And uh, unfortunately, the next person taken over for me wasn't going to be so lucky. So that is actually a thing. And that happened all the fucking time. So um, I got to get to the questions now because we're already at almost 29 minutes and I don't want to be here for 45 minutes. I think I hit every point of those those questions. Um, so if you got more right in, um, I got no problem answering more. So. Let's get to another question. Let's go to Mike L. Mike L. writes in and asks, Why did they ask you in your hospital job interview if you were okay with dead babies? You're not a doctor or a nurse, so I don't understand. Um, So, Mike L., thank you for writing in and asking your question, and you're totally right. You're correct, Mike L. I am not a doctor, uh, nor am I a nurse. So um, in that particular hospital position that I was applying for and I got, unfortunately, I actually got that job, sometimes the worst of the worst happens and a baby dies during childbirth or um, a baby's stillborn. That's another thing. Uh, and I'm sure there's a bunch of other ways that, you know, this horrible scenario takes place. But either way, uh, some uh, sometimes, the, you know, when that shit happens We were the ones, it was in our job descriptions, we were the ones who had to actually take the body and wheel it to the morgue or maybe like another area, but that was part of our job description. So unfortunately, you know, dead babies do happen. It sucks, but it happens, right? And people deal with death in many different ways. So I guess they ask you that right off the bat, it's kind of a heads up, this, this shit could go down, you could see this. Like As I I, um, talked about in my my corrections question right there, I myself have seen attempted murders. I've seen actual murders. I've seen suicides. So personally, I can handle that kind of shit. But seeing a dead baby is something on a completely different level. Um, And I can't even imagine how I would handle it. Uh, Thankfully, I never had to see that. Um, I saw several Code Pink's. Which was um, baby in distress, and by the grace of God, all the babies survived while I was there. So, um, yeah, that's that's why they asked me about dead baby Sean. So, or sorry, so Mike. So thanks for writing in. The next question is from Sean. Sean actually has a couple of questions. He asks, now that someone has found Noof, why haven't you gotten in touch with him and asked him to be a guest on the show? I think that would be great. And are you going to try and find Tone, and what's the craziest thing you've ever seen Tone do? Sean, uh, wow, okay, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, th- first of all, again, thank you for listening. I much appreciate it. Um, you know, you're, you're, I appreciate everything. I, you know, so um, uh, basically, yes, Noof has been found. Uh, he lives in Brampton. He lives with a lady who may or not be his wife. I don't know. I've never actually been on the profile myself. I've just seen the pictures. And no, Sean, I have zero interest in contacting Noof. Um, I just, I can't. So, well, okay. That's okay. So that's actually a bit of a lie. Um, I'd actually love to talk to Rob. He was a really good guy. And we got along really well. And he was my friend. Uh, The bottom line is, I fucked him over. So I don't know how new feels about me and I don't, you know, the way our friendship ended, um, there is the remote possibility of being attacked and getting my ass handed to me by a giant fucking new And at 42 years old, that is not something I want to experience, Sean. So I'm just going to leave the term sleeping dogs lie. That is where this stands for me. Um, as far as contacting tone, Ooh, that's a tough one. um, you know, I guess I always felt like Tone was like Candyman. If you say... Well, first of all, have you ever seen that movie, Candyman? I think it was from like, you know, 1994 or something like that. But uh, I think if you say Tone's name five times in a row, the next thing you know, he'd be knocking down my door, drinking his fucking shit Laker beer and wanting to go hang out downtown with hookers or, or you know, whatever. Because uh, kind of, that was kind of his thing. Or, you know, who knows? I mean, maybe if you say his name three times, you get like a less evil kind of retarded Beetlejuice version of Tone, which is almost as scary and destructive, but it doesn't reach the level of the Candyman version of Tone, if that makes any sense. Um, yeah, I, so, no, I'm, I, I don't want to contact Tone. And, um, let's see, the last part of your question was the craziest thing I've ever seen Tone do. Yeah, Sean, unfortunately, I can't answer that because that is an entire episode of, that is coming up in the future. So unfortunately you're going to have to wait for that. But because you had the the time, you took the time to write in and I uh, you know, I appreciate what you do. I will give you this little blurb from Tone. Uh, one day in the summer, so it had to be around 1996 or 1997, Uh, Derek Tone and I, we decided to go for a swim and a sauna inside the apartment building that was like a stone's throw away from Tone's house. So, um, like literally it was like two houses and then the apartment building was attached to the, you know, the same area. So we called the building, uh, the Trillium. None of us lived there, but you know, once you were inside the front doors, once you were actually inside the building, all bets were off. You could use the facilities, They had racquetball, and they had a couple other things, and they had the pool and the sauna, right? So once you're in the building, whatever you want to do is all good. So we went swimming. Uh, After we're done our swim, we're in the change rooms, and then we walk through, and we walk into the sauna. I want to say that we were in there for maybe, I don't know, maybe, it could not have been more than 15 minutes. And, you know, usually when you're in the sauna, there's not a ton of talking going on. You're kind of just sitting there. You're absorbing the steam, and you're opening your pores, and all that shit, and you know you're just relaxing. But of course, that's not Tone's forte. He's fucking got like ADHD to the highest fucking the highest level. He's he's he can't he's incapable of sitting there and just doing nothing. So um, the whole time we were in there. Uh, he just kept coming in and out, and the door kept opening, and the sun— w- uh, not the sun—the uh, the light from the the change room would just beam in. So it wasn't relaxing at all. It was really tough to enjoy. So one time, when he uh, the last time that he left, I looked over at Derek and said, "Yeah, man, I, I'm fucking done here. Let's wrap this up. I can't—you know—Tone's too difficult to be here with." And Derek agreed. So we headed out, and we're getting changed. And uh, as we're walking out the door, actually, uh, Tone was walking back into the sauna, and I, you know. I, I don't know if it was me or Derek, but one of us looked at him, and we, we, I said, you know, like, hey, man, um, you know, we're, we're done here, man. Like, uh, what are you doing? And he goes, oh, just give me five more minutes, man. I really, you know, I just want to get a quick sauna in for five minutes, and then I'll be right out. We're like, yeah, sure, whatever, you, you weird bastard. And, you know, so, we're, you know, we're getting our clothes on, and, you know, sure enough, you know, not even two or three minutes later, Tone kicks the door open, so you just hear this crash. The door goes flying open, and then the smell of shit exploded out with him. So imagine like if a firework went off and you know the smoke that goes off and it smelled like shit so that's the same thing that the sauna was the 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 the, the cloud it just it was one giant shit sauna cloud shit, was sauna shit cloud yeah we'll go with that it was one giant sauna shit cloud so Derek and I are coughing like crazy cuz it's fucking disgusting and I asked Tony I go what the fuck did you do man I I said did you fucking shit on the floor in the sauna and as he's laughing and smiling, and he's got that fucking tone smile that I'll never forget, um, he says, no, nah, I shit on the sauna rocks. And I was like, oh, dear Lord. So we knew we had to get out like now because it was going to get worse. And sure enough, within a minute of him coming out, it was actually a thousand percent impossible to be in that entire change room without vomiting. Uh, the, the, the the smell of shit eventually drifted out of the change room and into the entire hall like so the entire basement hall that we are in the whole thing smelled like sauna shit and we had uh, we, we just we had to get out so we, we went up the stairs we exited the building next thing you know we're on tone's porch we're still coughing uh, of course tone's just laughing and smoking because that's tone and next thing you know you hear the fire alarm go off uh, yeah, I guess someone in the in the, the the building thought that maybe the building was on fire with the scent of tone shit. I don't know, but shortly after that, sure enough, the fire truck showed up. And I, I guess in the retrospect, it's a good thing that they've got those gas masks on because um, what tone did to that sauna was 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 awful and and so very wrong on so many levels, and the entire floor. With the pool and the sauna and and whatever else was on that floor was out of service for weeks after Tone shit on the rocks. Um, they probably had to repaint because I gotta say, the the shit was probably literally uh, it probably went into the walls. The you know because shit try the 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 steam goes into the walls right so. I don't know. I'm going to guess the whole fucking thing smelled like shit. And I don't know. That's my thought. Anyway, so um, so there you go. I gave you a little tone tale that you weren't expecting. And I can't give you the major tone story because that's coming up. So thank you again for writing in, everybody. I appreciate all your questions. But unfortunately, we don't have time for any more questions because the corrections questions got a little bit more in-depth that I really counted on going. So the question I was going to ask, or sorry, answer... I have to put to the side for either another day or another podcast or something. I don't know. But um, we have to get to the uh, the new segment that I'm going to call. I'm going to go with the Not A Doctor Jay is in. Hmm. Nah. I, nah. This is definitely a work in progress. I'm going to have to figure this out. So, um, Anyways, Theo wrote in and asked me for advice. I, I don't know why. Who the fuck would trust anything I have to say? I do not know. But like I said, nevertheless, I promised I would answer. So here we go. This is Thea's question. Jay, you seem like the kind of guy who will tell me the truth because no offense, but you seem like a bit of an asshole in a good way. Okay. That's okay. Um, I want your opinions and advice on something that happened a couple of months ago. My boyfriend and I lived together and have been together for almost two years. One night we were drinking and doing edibles When my best friend showed up unexpectedly, she came in and drank with us and also took some edibles and she got really messed up because she doesn't smoke pot or take any kind of drugs at all. Uh, But my boyfriend talked her into it and she ended up doing it anyways. At some point, she started flirting with my boyfriend and the next thing I know, we were all having sex. During sex, my boyfriend told my best friend he still loved her and always will. Oh yes, I forgot to say, they used to date before me, Uh, that's how we actually met through her when they broke up. I'm okay with the sex, we are all consenting adults, but the word love being thrown out is what upsets me. What do I do and how should I deal with this? Okay, Uh, yeah, first off, uh, god damn Thea, you sound like a fun girl to hang out with, so fucking right on. Um, I like how you roll. You gotta, you know. Let's just get that out of the way. Um, okay, but to, seriously, to answer your question, it, it, it's a tough scenario. It's actually really tough. It's not as easy as everyone thinks it is. Uh, I, I want to say that you know people who have been in similar situations are the best people to talk to when you ask for advice. Uh, so in this particular scenario, I myself have actually never been in a threesome. I've come close uh, twice. Uh, once in high school uh, and uh, once after high school. Um, but uh, that that's a box on my bucket list that I can't check. So, um, But the, actually, the meeting um, through the ex, I can check that box because that's how me and my wife met. We met through my ex-girlfriend. And for a short time, we were all friends together as well. So I totally understand that part of it. Um, but as far as the I love you... Um, I mean, you didn't really specify some things. Like, like how long were they together? Uh, obviously, for him to say something like that, it was serious for him. So, was it serious for her, too? Like, was it serious for both of them? That's that's the question I've got. Um, did he bring her up often before the threesome? So, like, was it, like, did you get sick of hearing her name and, and, and shit like that? Was he always saying, oh, you know, like, oh, Tina, you know, she she used to be this and this and this. and like, I don't know, man. So there's that question I have too. Um, and what is it? Was it ever weird or like or tense when you guys were all together before the threesome? And how is it now? Like have you guys hung out since the threesome? And is the situation a lot different? Like has everything changed? Or so I you know. I, without those questions getting answered, I guess. Um, I guess maybe in my opinion, I would say. You guys were all fucked up um, on booze and edibles and and shit like that. And those those edibles are fucking dangerous. I've only done them once and I was a disaster. So I guess maybe um, he gets a bit of a pass for that. um, Because, you know, in my mind, let's go with, he was probably inside of her when he said those words. So, you know, you're all messed up. Now you're having sex, I you know, and if he's on top and he's giving it to her, I wouldn't doubt it if if, if old feelings kind of came back and he said those words. But I got to give him a pass on that. And also, you know, maybe it's kind of like um, maybe it's kind of like a divorce. I mean, my mom and dad are divorced, but and they were married for like ten or twelve years or something of that nature. But even though they both moved on. They'll always kind of love each other because, you know, they don't really hate each other. So they had all that time together. So, I mean, does that make sense? You get what I'm saying, right? There's still that love there. At the very end of the day, uh, there's always that love there. I I don't know. That's my thing. I, I think if there was no sex involved and you were all sober and he said he still loved her, now you've got a problem, all right? But taking all that other shit into account, I'd say let it go. But I'd also say... Enough with the threesomes. Because if there are any real feelings still there. Still lingering. um, Having him stuffer like a turkey. Probably isn't the best idea. So I hope I helped. Even in a small way. And guys if you like what I had to say. Please write in. And continue to ask me stuff. Because this segment won't continue. Unless I get questions. So. uh, Alrighty y'all. That is the end of the show for today. The next time we talk. All the malls will be open again. We can finally get a goddamn haircut and uh, hopefully there'll be no more lineups to get into the dollar store and home sense and all that shit because things will go back to normal even a little bit more normal than they are now so with that being said i am jay thank you all for listening and until monday oh no sorry this is monday until thursday bye for now